Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Fans, welcome to an emergency edition of the Parastyle Podcast here on a Saturday. I'm in the studio with Keely Dior alongside of me. We got Dan Weber on the line. The Trojans, of course, fall to the Iowa Hawkeyes 49 to 24 in the Holiday Bowl. You heard that right 49 to 24. Pretty unbelievable. We're going to talk about that game. Plus, as we are waiting to start the, to record the podcast, some breaking news from today. Three different coaches are gone off the USC staff. Joe DeForest, with no announcement for USC, was announced at North Carolina State, where he's going to be the safeties coach there. You um, carry Angeline is there, and uh, linebacker Keeley. Who's the linebacker that's over there? Uh, uh, the kid from Texas. Oh, uh, can I Levi Jones. Levi Jones is yeah. over there. Screwed up my intro already, but I, was thinking, <laughs> just, I forgot about that off the top of my head. Levi Jones is there, Kerry Angeline is there, and now Joe DeForest is there coaching safeties. He was the USC outside linebacker coach. And then, like I said, the breaking news while we were about to record this, USC announces that they will be parting ways, getting rid of Clancy Pendergast, defensive coordinator, and special teams coach John Baxter. So we're going to talk about all of that and a lot more. we got a lot of questions to get to. If you have any questions for us, podcast at uscfootball.com. This is an emergency. We had to just come in and do it right away. Normally we do the Dan Pod on Tuesday, but we couldn't wait after the Friday night game. Uh, at least Keely said. The boss man, Keely over there, said, we can't wait. Uh, I believe you did call me at 10 a.m. this morning and said, we got to do something. I maybe called you, yeah. You didn't get you didn't get home from San Diego until 3 a.m. Uh, I was home about 1 a.m. We did. I did a post-game show with Taylor Mays on KABC Radio. So if you called into that, yeah, let's go. We had live calls for from 11 p.m. to 12 p.m. after Max Brown and Sam Farber did their live calls. So they got a lot of live calls. We got a lot of live calls. It was a lot of fun. But if you have questions for us here on the show, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can text us or call us, 424-254-9141 is the number. Please subscribe. Please give us a positive rating, five-star Rankings are great. Reviews, anything positive. We love that stuff. Tell your friends about the Peristyle Podcast. We'll be going into our 13th football season next year. USC finishes the 12th season. We've been covering them here on the podcast at 8 and 5. And if you look over the last 24 calendar months, USC is even 13 and 13 over the last uh, 26 games. So a little bit crazy. All right. Well, we're going to jump right in with Keely Yor. Say hello to her. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, I'm doing well as well. Thank you, Keely. But you didn't ask me, so I feel a little hurt. Dan Weber, how are you? Uh, <clears throat> I may not be doing that well. I had to watch that game last night. and that, uh, I think it almost seems when you go 49-24, you think, well, yeah. But I was just thinking, at the first half of the uh, uh, excuse me, Louisiana State-Oklahoma uh, uh, game, it was 49-14 which isn't that far away from 49-24, and everybody thinks that's like the route of the century, which I guess it is. Uh, so that really wasn't a good effort by USC. I'll, I'll, I'll go out on a limb and say that, but uh, it's hard to get over that. that. And I don't know, and we talked about this a little bit, we're probably going to talk more about it. As bad as the game was, 
the press conference after the game was worse. So now, where does that leave us? Yeah, and I wanted to start off with the press conference because we talk about it. Fans get upset. We were, I, was, I was watching because I did the, the radio show, so I wasn't down in San Diego. I was watching in my car the Periscope feed, and uh, USC didn't put it up on Facebook. There's no place else. It's just on Periscope right now. They didn't put it on uh, Facebook or YouTube or anything. But watching it in the comments, there's a lot of people commenting, Dan, like, where's Dan Weber? Why isn't he asking tough questions? And I could just I could see you in the in the video. Your head was in there and just sort of was like to the side a little bit where it just seemed like you know what he's gonna say. There's really nothing you can ask that's going to get him, you know, when he starts it off with, thank you to our Trojan family and the Iowa Hawkeye family. Unbelievably attended game and the electricity you could feel from the field was awesome. We're very thankful to our fan base as well as the Iowa Hawkeye fan base. It made for a very exciting atmosphere for our student athletes. So thank you. What and the then, hell and is then that? It got worse. I mean, then it got worse. What, what is and that? What? What? You just got smoked by Iowa. They the most points they've given up all season. More. You, know, you gave up. Rutgers allowed them to score thirty. Middle Tennessee allowed them to score forty-eight. You got. You were worse than that. And you're on. You're starting your press conference talking about thanking the Iowa fan base for like making the. I mean. What are you trying to accomplish? I, I, you're just saying words at this point. Well, and I know people want us to say, get that perfect question where Clay's going to break down and give you a Perry Mason moment. You got me. I give up. I'm I a quit. terrible coach. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. My gosh, I'm out of here. And he walks out the door. Okay, that's not going to happen, folks, unfortunately. And... Either you're going to get a nonsense answer or you're going to get no answer. I mean, there is no way. There is a a lack of uh, awareness of the reality of the situation uh, that precludes any sort of, uh, you know, answer that's going to get you to where you you want to go. I mean, everybody knows what they know. Questions at this point, all they do is you know, get people more and more and more upset, but they're not going to get us to the answer. And that's where you end up just sitting there and thinking there's no point in asking the kinds of questions. I mean, if you said, do you think you should have worked a little bit harder to get ready for the holiday ball? Clay would say, we work so hard. Yeah. Fif- you guys didn't practices know and, all yeah. the practices we had, and we just didn't tell you about them, and you weren't there at a lot of them. Oh, we worked so – we tackled so much. We did – what are you going to – I mean, what do you do then at that point? Do you say, you know, well, you can't. I mean, that's where you are. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, so there was that. The opener was just like kind of baffling. Um, there when you were asked about, he was asked a question, you know, you asked him some questions and people were getting mad about, they need to ask tougher questions. Like it doesn't matter, but you know, giving up so many points and I, I just zoned out when he was answering it. Just, he didn't, you know, I think it might've been Ryan Young. I don't know. Someone asked him about giving up, you know, this is the most points Iowa scored all season. And he just talked about like needed to get off the field, but they didn't get off the field. And then but they scored on the three or four drives. I mean, it was like some just nonsensical. And I just like, I found myself just zoning out. Like the second time I listened to it, I'm like, I, it's just, it's just words were coming out. Um, I, 
And then to say, you know, and he was talking about this the season. He's like, we're eight and five right now. It's like, is, is that going to get better somehow? Because it's right now, like the season's over. Like it's not right now. We finished eight and five. Like that's, it's not right now. It's, I, I don't get that either. It's like, dude, you're done. Like this is over. Well, and we finished strong, uh, of course, uh, which means no. that you played two good teams in the last seven and they beat you by an average of 30 and a half points. <laughs> I mean, you finish strong. And then he went on to thank the two seniors who were forced to sit there next to him, John Houston and and uh, and and Michael Pittman. And kind of Michael was asked about what his view of the <laughs> of the game and how he finished and all that. And he said, I'd rather not, you know, you know, please don't ask me that question. And then asked John Houston about in general the game. And he said, well, we had one idea in mind to get off the field, you know, and we never did. Yeah. Uh, it was awful. Uh, that was it. But you never got any analysis as to, yeah, we know what happened. We know what the score was. We know what you didn't do. Why didn't you do it? Why weren't you able to do it? Why did they look so prepared and so ready to play you? And you didn't look ready at all to play them. Explain that, please. Uh, we just can't, we can't get Clay to go there. He hasn't ever gone there, and it doesn't look like he's going to go there. No, he needs to. Sometimes you just kind of come out and be mad, and you're like, "That sucked. This was awful. Well, I, you know, this didn't work. I mean, something like they, the fans need something. I mean, to according like, to Shotgun Chad K, said that it was an ass whooping. I mean, even that is good enough to say that would be great. Just so that there's some appearance of of knowing what was wrong, knowing what this looks like to other people, because it just seems like there's a disconnect that they're not realistic in what they're saying. And so it's, it's disconcerting for fans when this is the guy who's in charge of evaluating everything in the off season. Right. There's a time to be like, Hey, we got to like pump this up a little bit. And there's a time to be like, no, like we're, don't thank the Iowa fans after getting your ass beat by, you know, say what Chad K said, you got an ass whooping. Um, then the other part, Dan, when they said from, you know, he was talking about improving and like, you know, you got to go from good to great. And then when he was talking about playing sixth rank, potentially six ranked teams next year, it almost felt like he was saying like, okay, we're really young now, but next year we got some, we got a tough schedule. So don't expect a lot then, but the next year, then we're going to be like, it was, is that what he was saying? Cause it almost felt like. He was talking I mean, about next year. It, it's a be... line he's used a number of times, and I don't get it because he obviously played six ranked teams this year. I mean, nothing's going to change. I mean, you know, they there were you know Oregon, Washington, uh, 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 Notre Dame, um, uh, Utah. Who else am I missing? Uh, Oregon, Washington, Notre Dame, Utah, uh, Utah. Um, so. It wasn't like these are the only, and then obviously uh, your bowl game. Uh, you know, that's not, there's not much of a difference next year to this year. Although, you know, we'll see how it plays out. It obviously started with that, with uh, Alabama. Yeah. But uh, just the idea that that next year we didn't want to. Nobody wanted to talk about next year. They wanted no. to talk about last night. That yeah. was. And he's saying like invaluable here? lessons that's going to help this young team. It's like no. He's trying to sell like that. That's the issue. It's like he's trying to sell the reasons why he should still be there. It's like talk about how you screwed up today. Not these are value like getting our ass whooped today are these valuable lessons that these young freshmen will 
play much better next year because we got beat bad this year. Like that, that's not what fans wanted to hear. That's not what I want to hear in the media. It's like, it doesn't make any sense. It's like, you're just trying to, it's too political where you're just trying to like show the positive thing of why he's, he, you know, trying to justify why he's going to be back. Well, I mean, the idea that, uh, that last night's game, he actually said this was a building block. This is the foundation. We are building the foundation for this great program with last night's game, thanks to uh, the seniors who played last night. And I know you're you're looking at those guys, and they're like, what's he talking about? Yeah. Yeah, this was awful. We were terrible. I mean, this isn't helping us. How does this help that, you? Get- you got to throw and that I- away. That's not like if that's your foundation, like you, you got to like no, throw that in the quarry and get a new rock because this is not the foundation you want to build on. And And – it is a little frustrating. And, and for example, talking to a freshman like Drake Jackson, and I don't know if Keeley was there or not, but we said, and he came out and said, well, you can see how good our defense is. You can see how, how good the, the talent we've got. And I said, Drake, you guys gave up 49 points. How do we see that? He <laughs> said, you can see it. You can just see it. we're good. We're really good. And he said, well, we got to tighten some things up, but it was like tighten some things up. Rutgers scored thirty. I mean, you, you. I mean, so like, Rut, you scored thirty on Rutgers. Iowa did. Oh, how do you have a dialogue when that's kind of that? You know, we're good. We know we're good. You know, we just just a couple of. You know, we got to execute better. It's like, what are you talking about? I mean, it is very difficult to get answers from this USC program right now. I mean, it's really, really difficult yeah uh although it did seem like all the players knew what was going to happen today i don't know if anybody knew about the forest but i don't think there was anybody who didn't think clancy and uh and 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 john baxter were not coming back i don't i don't think that's a surprise or a shock but then if you talk to some of them they'll also say but what the heck we didn't think clay was coming back either right and and so that was all this but well, if you remember and, that, and now you remember you get that? into the question of of should those two guys, with everybody knowing they're not coming back, should they have been coaching last night? Right. And if you remember that a tweet that Colin Cowherd sent out, and then people were asking me like, "What did he say?" and he texted me, and he was he basically said Pendergast and and Baxter were out. So that's what he was hearing. Now he thought it was going to happen before the bowl game, at least in part. Um, I didn't I obviously didn't report it. We just was like, okay, that's interesting. Uh, he ended up being right on that one. Um, so it was out there. So we, we heard it from another source uh, along, you know, after that too. I think Keely, you heard that one too. I did. So we all kind of had heard it. So we were assuming that was going to happen. Um, and then it did. But if we knew it was going to happen, we assume they knew it was going to happen. And, you know, it wasn't a, a great showing on special teams and it was a really, really, really bad showing on defense. So, like Dan, what you said on instant analysis, would you rather just have Chris Hawkins or freaking Dave Campo, who was a head coach in the NFL, like let him run the defense for a game? Like it couldn't have been worse than what you saw giving up five straight touchdowns to start the game. Well, I mean, you you quoted it once, that uh, really good uh, piece of advice from the uh, Urban Myers AD at Florida, Jeremy Foley, who said, if, you're, if you know you're going to do something that you're going to have to do it, you do it now. Yeah. There's no advantage to waiting. For example, Notre Dame got rid of their offensive coordinator. They want to get back to their roots or whatever it is. 
not a terrible year, obviously, but they weren't a cha- it wasn't a championship year, and he's no longer there. They had a, a new guy calling the plays uh, in their bowl game today. And, you know, Notre Dame made the change. And, you know, again, I know people get nervous when you say, well, do what Notre Dame does. Just do what the right thing is. And if they're not going to be coaching, and, and Keely, you had a really good point about uh, why you have to do it right away as opposed to letting it hang around. What, why don't you tell us what, well, what that thought was? It just speaks to the dysfunction overall, the timing, waiting 11 days for the Clay Helton decision. But then also, wouldn't it have helped USC's recruiting efforts to make those changes earlier? The prospect of a new coordinator, a defensive coordinator, might have intrigued a, a Justin Flo. You know, you never know, but... Why wait? Like you said, why wait Wait to make those, those changes? And if you have the worst case scenario uh, happen like it did yesterday where USC gets blown out, at least you have the excuse that you're in flux. You don't have your coordinators anymore and it could get better with new coordinators. Now it's just the same old, same old continued and the fan base is even more angry. It just It doesn't make sense at all to me. Yeah. Yeah, you could have done the right thing that you think is the right thing, but you decided not to do it. How does that help you? Yeah. How does that look better? How does that look make anybody look better? No. I don't know that it does. It doesn't it doesn't save those guys. They've got one more bad game on their resume as opposed to get them get them out of there right away. They don't have this game on their resume. They yeah. look, you know, they're you know, more of a, a fresh candidate than they are now. This is this hurts them. This did not help them. No. And one last thing for the press conference. He was talking about fan high expectations, and he said, quote, we believe in championships here. And it also said, we are going to be a very good team next year. How many times has he said that, where it's like, wait till we are, you know, wait till you see us in November, and you fell, you fell apart in November. The, it's happened a lot, where it's always just about the future, and never like now. It's like, it's, if you're not succeeding now, he's trying to sell why it's going to be good down the road. But like I said, the last 24 months, He's 13 and 13. Like that's not, that's not good enough at USC. So for Mike Bone and Carol Fult, same sort of thing happening with the, the coordinators. If you know you're going to get rid of them, you can't wait another year. Just get rid of them. You have to move on. Um, and that's why the fans were so upset and it was such a mistake. And I, I feel bad. Like we said, I like Clay Helton a lot. I have no personal issue with him. I have a real issue with what he's doing, like performance-wise, and I just really hate the way he handled this press conference. I just thought it was completely wrong. And I've been in the camp where Clay Hilton's going to say what he's going to say. He's always looking on the bright side. He's always glass half full. But these last two press conferences between the early signing period and this post-game presser, I just it's been it's been bad. And I, I think it's someone at USC needs to change the message that's being sent to fans because I just think it's it's getting to the point where it's embarrassing and yeah. it's it's out of touch. And so someone needs to fix the the message that's being sent out because what's happening now is just making things worse. Yeah. Mike Bone's well, the message, message was the, the same message. way too. You know, Mike Bone's <laughs> message, message was yeah. awful in that, you know, talking about recruiting's better than anyone's given them credit for and they got four silent commits. It's like you can't say that to a bunch of people on the message boards that know everything about recruiting. So the message from Clay Helton and, and really from Mike Bone, that's, it's been bad. Well, and the problem is some of the time when US sends out, USC sends out a different message, it's something like this. It's your fault. You didn't root hard enough. You didn't, you didn't give us enough money, you $100 donors. You know, that, and that's the – unfortunately, you know, sometimes the USC message – is worse than the one you got uh, at the post-game press conference. But 
it took all the power willpower you have to sit there when when the talk goes to we believe in championships at USC. That's why we're all here. And you just say you don't do anything that looks like you care about championships. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Oof. You're the farthest thing. You couldn't win the championship of the Pac-12 South. <laughs> what are you doing that help is helping you win championships? Did the week off that you took the fir- the bye week when you took off after when everybody else was still playing and you could have been practicing for a whole week? Did that help you? Was that about winning championships? Huh? At Iowa, you know, practiced that week because they had a game, and then they got more practices in. Uh, between then and now than USC did after blowing off a week of practice. Uh, And Iowa wasn't about a championship. They wanted to win the ball game. That's all. They wanted to be as prepared as they were. They wanted to do as much developmental work as they can. And that's what they did. They just did what they did. Uh, And USC, who knows? I mean, they didn't want us around. You can't blame us now for creating negativity for a team that we weren't basically, I guess, six of the practices – were completely closed, but we weren't allowed to be anywhere around them. Three of them, were, you're allowed to be around for 20 minutes, but uh, they didn't want us around. And, you know, that was kind of the rap from last year was, you know, your negativity. And uh, and so as if we were going to change five and seven, what you were supposed to be positive about a five and seven season. But uh, I, I don't know where they go now other than clearly Bone realizes, I think, what's been the the result of the uh, 11 days wait and then and then uh, uh, re-upping Clay. And now I think basically he has to say, well, we got to whack everybody we can and it make it look like we're trying to, to go in the right direction. Yeah. But uh, it's an uphill battle, I think, at this point. And you guys should check out Shotgun Spratling's Twitter profile. He just he's listing all the special teams gaffes for the last two years. He's been tracking that for a while. It's bad. And then it tweeted out a picture of like 10 men on the field snaps and how many of those there there's 12, 12 snaps with less than uh, the ideal amount of players on the field at one time. You know, you're allowed 11. Ideally, that's how many you trot out there every play. Yeah. You would like that if you can Uh, 12 times over the last two years that hasn't happened for USC. So it's neat. and and again, this is these are people's livelihood. You know, lives are being disrupted. Families, everything. Hate it. You know, I don't want to see people calling names to any of these coaches, but they get paid a lot of money to do the job. It hasn't been they haven't been doing it well, and it's a business, and you have to move on. So I, I get it. It needs to happen, but just I wouldn't want people to make make it personal for Clay or Clancy or Baxter or anybody like that. Yeah. No, it's definitely not personal, but it's it's one of those things where. Uh, now you're going to a situation where Clay has said, you know, when he gets back, he's going to evaluate the whole program. Uh, now, yesterday he said he hadn't done any of that. Uh, Which is a, a flat-out lie. Obviously that's not true uh, because you think they got home last night and decided, you know what, we ought to do something about this two-coordinator. No, yeah. obviously the, that the was The greatest happening. special teams coordinator in history that you called or whatever, and you went home overnight and realized you should fire him because you haven't thought about it yet. Like that, it's, it's just disingenuous. Like you hate, well, see, you know, you don't, yeah, you don't have to say that. And that's the problem. The guy who's going to do the evaluation of the whole program he has been saying for the entire time he's been here that Clint, uh, that uh, John Baxter is the best special teams coach in college football. And now he's fired with like a four-paragraph release about 
you know, the two of them, or that he went to the mat last year uh, to save Clancy. And, you know, you're just thinking, what, what, what are you thinking the first half if, if you're the guy that basically said we have to have these two coaches? Or what are you thinking the second half if you're Mike Bones standing there at the end of the bench thinking, what have I gotten myself into here? Yeah. How do we get out of this? And I, good luck. You know, and I like I like the free market. I'm a capitalist, Keely. You know, I'm a, you know, you can say I'm more of a conservative, fiscally conservative type of person. Can you? But you look at, it's a market out there. Is a Power Five program going to scoop up Clancy Pendergast or scoop up John Baxter, who is, you know, like Clay said, the greatest, special, the best special teams coach in the country? Does that happen? If it doesn't, then you're like, huh. A guy like Joe DeForest? That's not bad, actually, because he went from, you know, uh, a non-full-time assistant. He's going to North Carolina State, which, is, you know, it's power five. Now he's the safeties coach, but, you know, he's the outside linebacker coach. You could argue that that's a, you know, a parallel kind of move. Um, curious to see what happens with Pendergast, which I assume he's going to do something in the NFL, you know, coach safeties or something in the NFL, and then John Baxter might just retire to his farm, but. Uh, what's the, what's the, where, what are these guys going to be get, fetching on the open market, Dan, is what I want to know. Well, I think it's a good question. Um, and never underestimate the power of the NFL to make bad decisions. I mean, uh, so, I mean, stuff happens in the NFL all the time where you say, what were they thinking? I mean, uh, you know, the, the bears drafted Mitch Trubisky over Patrick Mahomes. So, uh, and, the the Rams traded up to get, you know, Jared Goff. So, uh, you know, you, you don't always want to depend on the NFL to make, uh, you know, the right calls about, uh, you know, about coaching positions or any other kind of personnel moves. But, uh, but I, I don't know. I don't have a good, uh, I don't have a good feel. I think the more people saw of USC, if anybody was watching last night, you have to question what the heck's going on because you saw such a well-coached, tough, precision football program operating with with far less talent than USC's operating with just crush USC and no other answer was could be that other than it was coaching it was all coaching uh, the difference and uh, that would make it hard to, to walk off of that game and be able to um, uh, you know you'd have been better off had you been told to leave a few weeks ago and you could say see what happened when I wasn't there uh, you know, so here's again a case where USC probably is trying to be nice to them or or help them out. And in effect, they did the exact opposite. Yeah, that, that happens a lot at USC. Well, that's quite the opening rant, Keely. I like it. I was I'm a little fired up on this one. It's an emergency. Are. You got to bring some passion, some fire. I, you know, emergency. there were some call, the callers last night. There was some passion on the KABC post game show. I called it the Peristyle post game show. We didn't have a name for it because we just. We normally did the pregame show on the radio. Now we did the postgame show. It was good. Uh, why don't we take a really quick break, come right back, and get into your questions and talk more about this game. So back in one minute. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town. 
and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. All right, we're back here on the Parastyle Podcast. I like that music when you're you know, leading into the bump there. Nice. A little break. Do you like it, Keely? I do, I do. Get a little into it. Um, well, where do you want to start, Can Keely? I just say something, too? Oh, I haven't... You could, oh, you got you can rant away you know, if you want. The issue I have with this is the timing of Clay Helton's and company's ability to not make the tough decisions when they need to, starting with after the Cotton Bowl. You probably should have let go of Neil Calloway. But then you have him on. You have Tim Drevno as a pseudo running max coach. And then you're Lynn Swan and Clay Helton tout this Notre Dame rebuild at the Cal game at 2018. And then don't fully do it. They get rid of they T Martin leaves voluntarily, essentially. It was a mutual parting of ways. But there were no people who had coordinators who had the job that left. And I think that's what needed to happen. And so now if you're gonna be in the mud, go for it. Like you yeah. have a five and seven season, take advantage of where you are and make the necessary changes, but then to do it halfway and then have this season and then go through another coordinating changes. I'm not articulating this well, but do you get what I'm saying? Like, no, you, you, you want to jump into the really cold ocean and you're putting your toes in instead of just jumping in. Like you need to jump in. You're get already in, in the deep end, yeah. take advantage of it and then get out of the pool and go do your business. Yeah. But you know, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It just, that, that was my issue with I mean, when your response to a five and seven season with when you have the fourth most talent in the country is we're going to bring in a name at offensive coordinator and everybody will be happy. And we're going to keep the defensive coordinator, the uh, special teams coordinator and the recruiting coordinator. But in title, at least, I don't know if they actually have one. So you're going to keep three of the four coordinators technically. And you wonder why you don't improve that much the next year? I mean, what are you thinking? I mean, obviously it wasn't working. How do you possibly go forward? And how does the person who's making that call, made that call last year, gets to make the next calls of all the things that have to happen now? How can that person be? Now, obviously, Mike Bone was a big part of this because he's, you know, he and Clay get kind of equal billing in the press uh, the press release today about the decision. So, you know, this wasn't just said, you know, because Clay Helton has decided. No, it was Mike Bone is mentioned as part of the decision making here. And uh, you know, I think it was a big part of Mike Bone. It would have been interesting to know without Mike Bone's input or orders, what would have happened with the coaching staff? Would any changes have been made? I don't know. Yeah. You know, the, and the some of the issues when we have we're talking about the top of the show. I guess our rant's going on still. Sorry, uh, no, that's okay. I like it. <laughs> I continued so, it. Some of the issues when people are talking about the positivity that comes out of Clay Helton, which I think there's a time and place for it, but you almost start buying into it to the point where, hey, we control our own destiny, winning the Pac-12 South. But you got to see what's going on around you. Are you getting blown out when you lose? Are you winning close games against bad teams? And it's not just about looking at the results. And I feel like when Keeley mentioned 2017, all Clay looked at is we won the Pac-12. We, you know, you won, and not the, we got boat raced by Notre Dame and, and got embarrassed in the Cotton Bowl. And, and Urban Meyer could have named the score and just like kind of straight, you know, didn't really do much, just kept the ball and, you know, put up enough points to win and, and walked away, you know? And I feel like 
after that, you can say it was great that you won the Pac-12, but against the elite teams who we want to like measure ourselves against, we didn't play well, so make changes. But he looked at it as we won the Pac-12, so let's stand pat and do exactly the same thing. And you're not going to get better that way. So they need to make changes. 2017 did not. And it was just a slow reaction. Yeah. Then they obviously needed to make more changes in 2018 and did not. This this wasn't about promoting uh, a support staffer to it. Like, that's not what you should have done after five and seven. Like, you needed to make wholesale changes like they talked about. And now you're going to try to make those wholesale changes. It's just a day late and a dollar short to me. Well, you know, what's missing, I think, and, and, and is... You, it's essential in a head football coach. You have to be unbelievably competitive. You, it has to be the most important thing in your life. Uh, Clay, obviously, we saw Pete Carroll, how competitive he is. We saw Ed Orgeron, how competitive he is. If you don't have that competitiveness gene, that need to beat somebody for that recruit, for, for whatever, for that next play, you can't coach at the, at the top level. And I just don't see that there uh, where you say, we're going to do everything we possibly can. We're not going to miss a trick. We're, we're absolutely not. Uh, you know, there's nothing we're not going to do within the rules and honorably and all of that uh, to win football games. And when you don't hear that that's the essential criterion for hiring a, a football coach, for example, you can tell me if I'm at Princeton and uh, Albert Einstein walks in the door and all I care about, does, he, does this theory of relativity and what it's going to do for uh, developing the atom bomb, does that work? I'm not going to worry about, gee, I wonder if he's got as much integrity as the guy <laughs> teaching fresh, freshman physics. I don't care. I want him <laughs> to be able to do physics. You know, I, I mean, when you start giving an answer as to why you kept somebody that doesn't say we because he's the absolute best coach we can get, that's not an answer. That's yeah. a side issue. And I know people say, well, you got to check out the integrity of, you know, people coming into USC. Hey, somebody should have done that a long time ago. Yeah. But I don't think it should keep you. Uh, it's not an excuse. It's not a shield from criticism for not going out and getting the best uh, football coach you could find. Yeah. And that's where we are. And the problem with what you're talking about, Ryan, that that mindset is it affects the culture of the team. It to the point where it influences after a BYU loss or a bowl game loss. Right. The attitude it's on a the non-conference f- loss. It doesn't matter. It, yeah, that permeates throughout the team. And and yes, there's the Michael Pittmans of the team who do take it hard and do take it seriously. But then there's other players who are laughing on the sidelines or you know not taking it as seriously. And and to be fair. You could look at me at any point in time and be like, she's not taking her job seriously. I get that things happen and, and it, it's all about context. But at the same time, you just see that the culture is just not what it was a couple a decade ago when USC was winning national championships. So yeah. it's just. It's, and how do you change the culture? Like you've, you know, you got a different strength coach that changes some things. You got to change the head coach to change that culture. You can't keep rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. And that's mm-hmm. cliche, but it's. It works, you know. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, what what sort of message do you send to people when the bye week that you have is the last week of the season? You basically tell them, eh, no, wor- no worries, take off, mate. We're not, you know. Do you think that that message ever goes out to like the Iowa kids that we can take a week off? 
No, they say we're not good enough. We're going to be playing somebody. We got to really show up and be ready to play. And what was the message as USC kids? It's the message Drake Jackson has, which is we're really good. You know, yeah. we're really good. No, <laughs> don't think that. Yeah, you don't. I mean, uh, it, it's it, it is frustrating that that we. I think the die was cast for this football game five weeks ago when they basically, you know, you can say, well, you know. Having the last week of the regular season as a bye week is great if you get in the championship game, but it's also great. It gives you a start on bowl practice, on spring practice, on whatever. There are so many things you could have tackled. You had five weeks to the next game. You could have tackled every day in practice or whatever you're allowed to do, two days, two days anyway. Uh, That has to happen. And there was no sense of urgency about what we have to do to compete. And when there wasn't, it wasn't there. And it was communicated that it doesn't matter. Uh, I mean, all Kirk Ferentz talks about is practice, 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 practice. When do you hear that at USC? Yeah, you don't. Um, We got to jump into the questions, but just real quick, as we're recording, uh, LSU just annihilated Oklahoma 63 to 28. Our friend, Ed Orgeron doing a really nice job there. He's going to get to play for the national championship in New Orleans. Uh, so how crazy is that? I mean, that's going to be that's going to be insane uh, against a, a really good team in either Ohio State or Clemson. So that should be awesome. But congrats to Ed Orgeron. And Dennis Dodd tweeted this. So 11 touchdown passes have been thrown by the Atlanta Falcons in their home stadium this season. So they've had 11 yeah. touchdown passes. And they got guys like Julio Jones. Uh, Joe Burrow threw 11 touchdown passes in the last two games he played in that stadium. So pretty cool tweet uh, there. Um, they scored a buttload of points and, uh, just great to see Ed Orgeron doing so well. So what, what a way of how much he's evolved as a coach since when he went to Ole Miss and it was all new to him in terms of putting together a staff and all the things that he was just ready with the recruiting to take it to the next level and they let him go and they bring in Houston McNutt, uh, uh, Houston nut, whatever to, uh, uh, coach the team to a couple of good years where Ed would have been there. And here Ed was, you know, working his way back and figuring out how he could, how he could do this. But to give you a little idea, what kind of guy he is over the last three weeks, you uh, out of the blue, Ed Orgeron will just send you a text and say, how are you doing? It's like, He's coaching a team for the national championship, <laughs> and he's asking me, "How you doing?" That's just unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, a lot of SC fans out there really, you know, celebrating this. Uh, our friend Michael Castillo, I know he's got to be doing backflips. So, congrats, Mike. That's awesome. Uh, well, I want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh, let's jump into some questions, Keely. What you got? Sure. We have a text from Mike from Northern Nevada who says we were physically embarrassed tonight at the Holiday Bowl. During one of the touchbacks, I I noticed that everyone on Iowa's kicking team ran all the way through the end zone, knowing full well that there was going to be no attempt of a return. That is a testament of quality coaching and a disciplined team. It's no wonder recruiting is so poor, inconsistent coaching, lack of discipline, and they lost the winning culture. Sad. It's sad, really. I will still fight on, but there needs to be a culture change and a leadership change. Mike from Northern Nevada. I know this. I was really impressed watching Iowa come out. I don't think I'd paid as much attention in the uh, before the game because they come out different groups. But in the second half, 
after halftime, they came out, all 100 guys, in a formation, like 15 feet by 15 feet. It looked like one of those Roman war machine kind of deals. And they come busting out, and they're, you know, run to the middle of the field, and you just say, whoa, that looks, what a, you know, the kind of discipline and, and all of that. And then here comes poor USC. And there's, like, guys, you know, a couple of guys and then a few more and then a few more. And then, you know, they're strong. You know, they're from the locker room all the way out to the bench. And they're, you know, this long line of guys. Some of them are running. Some of them are walking. And then finally a couple of other guys are way behind them and they get caught up. And you just think, you know, those two things happened about 30 seconds apart. And you just thought, oh, my goodness, wouldn't you like it if USC would do things like that, could do things like that? And just a little discipline about where you run to. For example, on the chance when USC pooch punts it down to like the eight-yard line, I guess it was. And USC had three guys on the coverage, and I was going to have to um, fair catch it. And two of USC's three guys just sort of nonchalantly run past the uh, uh, punt receiver. And so he fumbles the ball, fumbles in front of him, which is where you're going to fumble it if the ball hits you and bounces off. And USC's first two cover guys are already past him because rather than stop and wait for the ball to come down and see where it goes if if it's lost, they just sort of jogged on by. So they were out of position to recover a punt that the the, uh, receiver fell on where USC could have had the ball on the eight-yard line. And just because they weren't disciplined enough uh, and weren't made to be disciplined enough, uh, they missed out on that chance. That's the thing you live for. In a game against an Iowa, they so seldom make those kinds of mistakes. When you get that chance, but you don't get it because you're not in position, because of you don't, you're not disciplined to be in position, you don't think, where do I have to be? That ball's coming down. Where must I be? I can't run past. There's no purpose in running past. Uh, but that's uh, those are just lots of little things yeah. like that. You want to you want right out of the gate, Dan. You want to talk about discipline? At uh, Coach Four tweeted this out. Something as simple as knowing which end zone you're supposed to be practicing in pregame, USC could figure it out. I don't get it. Basic organizational item: most high school coaches don't screw up, and they show. USC guys kind of goofing around at the goalpost under in the Iowa end zone. And then Iowa comes out in like military precision, just starts warming up and uh, doing their thing. And then the USC players are like, oh, we're in the wrong spot. And then they have to walk over to the other side. So, Keely, you said you saw that one. Yeah, I was impressed by – I saw that too. But I was also, just like Dan said, impressed by their warm-ups. They had resistant bands. They had ladders. They had like a little hurdle thing. They were just so uh, – They had a jugs machine. I can't even – USC, I doubt, could get a jug machine from San Diego. They got one from Iowa. And going to one of their practices, they had, I would think, at least 20 more staff people at their practice than USC does. They're doing so many more things. I mean, it's just – it's pretty amazing. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and get ready for – if you go to, uh, you know, go to Texas next year, I still remember three years ago – Alabama coming out and setting up and USC coming because we'd gotten there so early and watching Alabama set up and then watching, you know, it was like watching an NFL team and a high school team. It was so different in terms of 
all of the equipment and all of the you know precision which which they did thing and with the kind of a lackadaisical way that that USC does things. I mean it that stuff matters. And uh if you want to be, you know, playing for championships, you have to look what what an Alabama does or even an an Iowa would would be able to do if they had the players. Uh and you got to do that. I mean you don't you don't let it up to let it be up to the players. You know, you got to you're in charge. You got to make it happen. Yeah. And uh, I, a lot of the post-game um, presser with Clay is that it's up to the players. You know, the last year's seniors are going to inspire this these guys. And, uh, you know, it's it's all about the players. And you want to say, but where is your part, Clay? What do yeah. you have to do? Uh, we did. We already talked about some news as far as what USC was. Well, some quick news uh, that USC announced that Keaton Slovis, the test showed that he has a strained elbow and it's going to require treatment, rest and recovery, no surgery. So it doesn't look like there's going to be issues there. He won't, you know, doesn't seem like he's going to miss any time like spring football. Or Which is a like good that. thing because imagine if USC has both JT and Keaton Slovis out for spring. Well, yes. It would have been a more interesting uh, summer uh, next fall then wouldn't it? if they were both coming back, uh, you know, having not, um, uh, ha- you know, had spring practice. Yeah. I will say this. Uh, Keaton went by me. He didn't talk to anybody. He was flying because he didn't want to talk to anybody. But uh, uh, his, I don't think there was anything on his elbow. And it was, you know, it was – and it's straight down a little bit more than you would would normally expect, but it certainly didn't look like it was receiving any kind of uh, uh, you know major treatment or anything like that, or that he looked like he was in any sort of pain or whatever. So I'm guessing it's a a minor elbow, a, a really kind of a minor injury. Yeah, and then the other news we're talking about is the coaching changes, but we did have a call about uh, someone not really happy with special teams, so we'll play that. Hey Ryan, how you doing? Love the show. Um... Ivan from Redondo Beach. I just want to be the first to call and say that we need to get rid of Baxter, our special teams coordinator. I don't know how many more times do we need to see the special teams looking horrible, like little kids. They don't, they don't tackle. It's like a bunch of little sixth graders are out there. This is a joke. We need a special teams coordinator that will pump these guys up and punch these guys in the mouth and tell them, let's play some ball. Please. I'm out. All right. Your wish is our command. It's done. Was it Ivan? Yeah, from, from, Ivan from Ivan's lips to God's ears, I guess, yeah. at this point. Uh, but uh, I know John always said he didn't have the same crew in there every week. Uh, he admitted uh, kickoff coverage was terrible. I mean, on the 98-yard return uh, last night, it didn't look like there were more than two USC guys that even had a shot at, at making a tackle on that play. I What you can't figure out is – where are they? Why did, you know, and, and of course the two guys that had a shot both missed, but, uh, where was the rest of the team? Yeah. I, 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 it's, it's really hard to figure out some of the mistakes that, that you see. Um, you know, I mean, the shotgun got him one-on-one for a while. And th- there's something that really rubbed me wrong in his statement where he was kind of making excuses. And he talked about having uh Parker Lewis coming in and like, making it sound like we got this really good kicker coming in. He's like the greatest kicker in the country. I think like that was going to fix a lot of the problems. Like that's not about having 10 men out on the field, or that's not about giving up kickoff returns for a touchdown. I mean, you had a a backup kicker execute flawlessly, a a onside kick and jump on it. Like your kicker wasn't the problem. You know, 
Chase McGrath had a great year. Like it's not, yeah, he was missed one game, you know, one kick in this game, but it just sounded so like, but if we bring in another scholarship kicker, now the problems are going to go away. It, it just didn't make sense to me, Dan. Well, and he had a great, great punter, Ben Griffiths from Australia. Who knows what's happened with him? I mean, you know, the first time we saw him and, and all the early times, uh, we're thinking, you know, who in the country kicks the ball any farther than this kid? And then we see what happens. And, you know, it happened again uh, last night where something's off with the way uh, Ben is able to kick in games. Yeah. And uh, again, that seems to have to go right to the uh, coordinator special team. Yeah. I don't know where else he can look uh, as to what's happened to him. I mean, what's he thinking about? Uh, is he not allowed to kick the ball deep? Is that because you can't cover it? And you don't want to get blamed if you can't cover kicks and you can't cover punts. Uh, you don't want them pointing the finger at you. So they'll be pointing it at uh, Ben. I don't, I'm not crazy about that. No. What you got next, Keely? We have an email from Jeff from Wichita who says, Dan, if we're going to be completely honest about this USC team, they have major holes in all phases of the game. We know that special teams and the defense are terrible, but I think we're overemphasizing the success of the offense as well. We are very one-dimensional, and Iowa exposed that as, along with Oregon. With that being said, uh, since we're keeping Clay, and unfor unfortunately, I would like to make a change as far as the offensive line coach as well. Let me know what you think in regards to this, and as always, fight on Jeff from Wichita. Yeah, I know people have talked about, you know, Drevno and it's Drevno's fault. I don't put him in the same category as the two coordinators. They're in charge. They make mm -hmm. up the game plans. They put the personnel in. Uh, you know, if you're the offensive line coach, I mean, uh, you know, everybody blamed Callaway and all that. But when you practice the way USC practices, you need to practice, you know, 11 on 11, goods on goods. You need to make it as much game condition as possible. And – that's not going to happen here at USC. That's just not going to happen. And uh, I don't know how you get that run game to where you need it to be if you aren't able to, you know, kind of replicate real football. I, mean, it's, I think it's really hard. Yeah. And they do have some injuries. I will say this. And, you know, I don't think you know, Mike Jenks is kind of in that same situation, the running back coach. Uh, it has to all go together, I think. And, and, I think it's really hard. The two things USC does not well at all are block and tackle. And that, I think, is directly related to the philosophy of teaching it and then practicing it and getting much better at it. And, and that's not happening. So and are the assistant coaches not able to convince the head coach that, you know, of what they need to do? That surprises me uh, that they couldn't get some kind of a – uh, you know, an improvement in the way they do things. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm not necessarily going to blame Drevno, but uh, but it wasn't good. No, no it wasn't good. And, and you've got quarterbacks getting hurt a lot this year. I mean, that's that's an issue, too. So I think the offensive line has to get better. Yeah, they still move the ball through the air, but you were putting the quarterbacks in some pretty bad spots, and we've seen multiple injuries happen there. So, you know, right from the beginning with JT Daniels and – um, so yeah, that's, uh, I, I, it's hard to say offensive line is really hard to evaluate. Are you saying Tim Drevno is great or, or bad or whatever? Don't know, but something does have to change there. I'm not saying it needs to be a coach. Yeah. And I would guess probably USC is not going to be able to run one quarterback sneak after another, after another. Uh, and yeah, they didn't have a, a quarterback as big. They're not under the center, but, um, uh, that's just, 
not something, you know, USC is not a physical team. That and, was like fit video game, like just demoralizing. Like I'm going to just run, go goal line and just run quarterback sneak three times in a row. It just, that's, yeah, that doesn't happen in real life. And so that, that had to be demoralizing. In regards to offensive line coach as well, how much does continuity make a difference? Because this is first year under Tim Drevno and you have Elijah Vera Tucker and, and Austin Jackson potentially leaving. How much do you need a, a, a Tim Drevno to be in there multiple years before you can truly evaluate it? I don't think I, I continuity is more uh, in terms of how do you approach practice? How do you approach physicality? Yeah. How do you approach, uh, you know, how do you convert? If there were strength gains, for example, if there were strength gains from Aaron Osmus, how did that not translate onto the field? Okay, a little better pass blocking, but uh, I don't think you ever got the sense that USC could line up with, against somebody decent and knock them off the line of scrimmage. That just yeah. doesn't happen. That pop, that explosiveness, that push, it's just not there. They don't work on it. It doesn't matter to them. I mean, how often, you know, we used to see, um, I guess with Lane, when Lane came in, even you really used to see him work on goal line and work on goal line live, and really uh, you don't see that. I don't know that we ever see that. Uh, and uh, I think that, yeah, they work on goal line, they throw the ball, but just lining up and knocking people off the line of scrimmage uh, is just not something that happens with this program, and uh, you know it's a big failure. And uh, how that changes. If the person in charge doesn't change, I don't know. Yeah. And real quick, they, they tried the one coach every year for like five or six years. Remember Zach Banner talked about that. Like he had a different coach. every. That didn't work. They, they keep Neil Calloway around. That didn't work. It just, it hasn't worked. So you need just somebody good in there. Make it work. So how bad, how, how much did they get on? What was our, our coach, uh, coach Craig, right? James he Craig, who's now go, playing for the national championship. He's the now the offensive line coach at LSU. Yeah. Okay. I, to be everybody, fair, I don't think he was he good at USC. Everybody's but, whipping boy. You know? Yeah. Well, he was also like brought in. He was he wasn't doing very well, and then Lane, instead of getting rid of him, brought in a second coach, and they had two offensive line coaches. So there was it was just kind of a mess there. But yeah, good to see him doing well for LSU. I, I talked to Bruce Feldman about it, who's been down there with them a lot. It, it sounded like he's got a lot better as a coach and he's pretty well respected there. That was kind of an underrated offensive line and they just, they outperformed this season. So that's, that's what you want to see. You want to see like, Hey, we have pretty good talent on the offensive line and they play at a higher level. Um, we don't see that with USC. You don't see, Hey, there's pretty good talent at this position group and they're playing at a higher level. Mm -hmm. uh, it's usually, we got really good talent at this group and they're playing a little below that. And the problem is that now with poor recruiting classes, you're getting three star offensive linemen coming in. So just upside, Keely. Now you can play above your head because you don't have as good of players. Oh, no. We have a email from our buddy Eric in Duck Country who says, Ryan, Dan, and Keely, why can't the athletic department change course and fire Clay Hilton now? For years, they've consistently done the opposite of what every other athletic de department would do. Why, all of a sudden, is the idea of firing Hilton now or after the bowl game outlandish? Thanks, Eric in Duck Country. Yeah, what do you think, Dan? Because even uh, Bill Plasky wrote in the LA Times, just kind of put a question there like, could they fire him now? And, uh, you know, does Mike Bone reconsider because there's all these uh, monetary promises being canceled and, you know, the season tickets going away and getting smoked by Iowa in the bowl game? Is it a fireable offense? What do you think, Dan? Yeah, I think it's the only so uh, solution right now. I, I don't think you can get uh, people back to, you know, just to fulfill their pledges to the private boxes. I think that's going to be hard. I don't think you can get 
who who in the world would buy season tickets right now? Uh, they're going to all wait and see, well, does something, the lightning strike and they do something against Alabama or what? Uh, and so you're going to end up in a situation. How do they recruit? How in the world do you recruit with, uh, if you couldn't recruit last year, you're going to be better off recruiting this year. Yeah. I mean, there are so many factors. And then if you're Mike Bone, say, look, I just got here. Okay. But I watched this team prepare for the bowl game and that wasn't acceptable. I'm sorry. Not acceptable. Yeah. Probably going to have to rethink this. That's kind of where I go. Uh, I don't know what else you can do. Are you going to throw a year away? I mean, you got a choice now. Stay on this path, throw next year away, or do something. It's like that, you know, Jeremy Foley advice. If you're going to do it, if you know you got to do it, you do it now. Yeah. And I think they could do it if they wanted to. I would. I mean, now, you know, where does that put me? But that's where I think that there is no other thing they can do right now. That's yeah. it. All right, let's go to our next question. We've got a voicemail for you, Dan. Hey, Ryan and company. It's Donald from Chicago. And, uh, well, what can I say? Another loss. We got beat up by Iowa, and we've got another year of Clay Helton. So what do we do as fans? Really, that's the question to ask. What do we do? Obviously, A.D. Bone and Folt or whatever her name is, they just don't care what we think. They just don't care. So anyways, that's my question. What do we do as fans with another year of this, with another year of helping? Anyways, I'm really, really disheartened. Sort of like don't know what to say. Analyzing the game is pretty much ridiculous at this point because it's just more of the same. Anyways, love what you guys do. Donald from Chicago. Donald, Donald's not yeah. real happy right now, Dan. Yeah, I think you avert your eyes, uh, which I think a lot of <laughs> USC fans are doing. They just say, you know, I want this to be upbeat and fun, and I want it something to be excited about and all that. And and if every emotion that it that it engenders is a downer, uh, they're just going to look away. And and in Los Angeles, you have a lot of other things you can look at. Uh, you know, maybe you don't in Iowa City. Uh, and you know, they can have 70,000 and they're pretty much going to hang in there. I mean, let's face it. There were years they really wanted to fire Kirk Ferentz and, uh, they got lucky. Uh, his buyout was so badly structured. Huh? Where does this sound familiar? Uh, that Iowa couldn't afford to fire him. Okay. He was like the first major coach in America in college football who would, who had too much of a buyout to get fired. So they didn't fire him and he, he's, he's still around today. But he's a hell of a lot better coach. I mean, he finally figured everything out for his circumstances at Iowa and said, this is the only way we can go, and this is how we're going to be the best possible football program for Iowa uh, that we can be. Uh, that doesn't seem to be happening at all at USC. I mean, it, it, the, you know, the trajectory is in the other direction. And uh, so – you know, I think USC does have to have to figure out how to get something done now. And or you've got fans like Donald that I can't make myself watch. It's too painful. <laughs> it's too much of a downer. I don't need this in my life. 
you know, or I'll watch it on television, but I'm not giving you any money. Uh, that's going to be an interesting point where I think a lot of people have said for the wrong reasons, money talks at USC. This may be one of those ones where uh, money talks will get the right message to the right people. Because I would think, you know, we've certainly heard that there was a as much as a $20 million deficit this year. What's going to happen next year? Yeah. And they're promising, we keep hearing this, promising more resources for football. Where does that come from? Because USC football basically supported the athletic department. The athletic department had a, was basically independent of the school, which sometimes was a good thing, maybe not all the time. But USC athletics never had to ask the school for money. Well, they're going to have to ask the school for money for th this past year and next year, I would guess. I don't know. I don't know how they figure that out. What are they going to do at that point? Uh, I think there. I think there will be some consequences there. So I think that's the only thing. I wouldn't hate people. I wouldn't get mad at them. I wouldn't, you know, say some of the silly things. I wouldn't send them lumps of coal or you know fake this or fake that or, or wreaths or any of that. I just I think that's kind of kind of childish. But uh, I, you just you just with you know you withdraw your support. Yeah. The crazy thing is I was actually surprised at how many USC fans were in the Holiday Bowl. I was too. Yesterday. And they were also very spirited. And it was reminded me, and this is sad, but it reminded me of a time when USC fans were actually proud of the product they saw on the field. And I was like, this is how it should be. Like, fans should be excited. They should be supporting these players. And it's just unfortunate when we're at a point where they're fed up and they can't, they don't feel like yeah. they can support this team anymore. And they're just, I mean, I know people who are like, is it even worth it to go all the way down there? Cause we're just going to get sad again. And it's sad to hear that from USC fans. Well, yeah. And the sad thing is you've got these people and I agree. We were all surprised the number of USC fans who showed up and for what did, what did they get? They got that game. I mean, that's like, you know, you're already, people are questioning you even for going. And then that's the game, and people say, Whoa, what an idiot. Why would you do that? I mean, to not even you know, show up and play, uh, th that's, not, uh, that's kind of inexcusable. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much it as far as pertinent questions go. A lot of people said, uh, sent us some emails saying that they were done. Um, so it's well, I, got, just... I got a couple more voicemails. You want to pick, pick one or two other ones out from there? Or we'll, well, I'll, I'll play this voicemail first, and then maybe we'll do a couple more sure. and get out of here. All right. It's an emergency. We just like we're doing this on the fly. Emergency, so emergency. as the uh, the uh, Peach Bowl has started between Clemson and Ohio State. So, uh, all right, next up for you, Dan. Here you go. Hi, Ryan team. Um, my name is Russell, and um, I'm actually a transplant from Utah. I moved here to Southern California about two years ago. Um, so anyway, I called in earlier. It was, it was a loss for words, and um, I'm just trying to call to actually bring a point. Um, so obviously the game turned out, um, to be probably what most of us thought it would be. Um, you know, Joe Klatt mentioned a lot of, had a lot of interesting points and, and, you know, at the end of the day, I don't think that a co new coach or, you know, cleaning house, I, I don't think it's going to change what we're seeing. And, and I don't know if you guys, you know, could see something different than I'm not, but I mean, this is fundamentally bad. I mean, when nationally they speak about how much turmoil is going on in this program, and it starts at the top, and 
and everything surrounding it. I mean, you you can't coach your way out of this. So I I, I really do think that there is some type of residual effect to the death penalty that was handled down, and 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 I'm honestly thinking that SC is going to be no greater than SMU or or any other school like that moving forward, um, unless there's some huge changes. So anyway, I know this is a long voicemail, probably won't get played, but uh, thanks for letting me vent. Um, it's going to be a really long off season. I really appreciate everything you guys do. Thanks. Right on. He actually called like at halftime with a shorter little like just, but he just was he didn't know what to say. It was like, I, I this sucks. I don't know. Um, well, I think the difference is SMU didn't commit suicide. The NCAA got them. <laughs> uh, USC. I mean, they were th- they were third in the country uh, after the Rose Bowl with Sam Darnold. That was three years ago. Come on, uh, USC has has you know done the uh, done the deed. Uh, I think here, I mean, when you count up the number of wrong decisions, uh, I mean, you know, you can't even begin to guess which was the worst decision. Pat Hayden telling Ed, we didn't need him. We need that Steve Sarkeesian guy <clears throat> or Mike Garrett saying, boy, we need that Lane Kiffin. We got to save that recruiting class. If we don't save that one recruiting class, oh, my gosh, how in the world? Or, you know, or the decision, you know, Clay seems like a nice guy. Let's uh, let's just give it to him. Or, you know, all of those decisions or, or that Lynn Swan, he signs a mean autograph and boy, was he a good, good receiver back in the day. Uh, no, it, it, that's not how you make decisions. Uh, so you think a coach doesn't matter? Hire Urban Meyer tomorrow and see how next year goes. What do you <laughs> think? Huh? Yeah. Just do it. Just a little experiment. Hire Urban, pretty much everything, you know, that Urban can change, he changes. See how next year goes. Just what do you think? Yeah. Uh, do you want to do, do you got one, Keely? Or are you sure. going to do a voicemail? Okay. I mean, it's Rick from LA. He's a USC band alum. And he said he had a lot of ha-has. He said sarcastic ha-ha-ha. Just wow. Uh, what is going on? What? Are, how, how did we expect anything to change by bringing back Mr. Helton? Clearly, USC had the better team, but coaching was the factor yet again. USC football is in a bad place, and it looks like it will never be the epic program that it once was. This will be the last time I write in until a new coach is hired. I will continue to listen to you, uh, Ryan and crew, for uh, for because you guys and gal do an amazing job covering USC football. I'm officially done with the program until they fire Helton. Hashtag boycott USC football. Thanks and fight on. So yeah, I was trying a, a little bit of a thought experiment with somebody today. I said, let's let's just do this. We go back to August and you take the entire Iowa coaching staff and you bring them here. And you take the USC coaching staff, send them to Iowa City. <laughs> and they both coach these teams for the, the next four months. How does that game turn out? Just ask. You know, I mean, it's you, – you can – and the guy said, don't even ask. I, I mean, don't need to even answer that question. It's a really good point. Um, that's – and it's it's hard to argue. what Just just what you saw Iowa do, if you had to write down as a layman, any of us, hey, what does USC struggle to do on defense? And you'd be like, oh, you know, the misdirection stuff, like reverses, the you know, when you you stretch it out wide, things like that. And you're like, oh, okay. Um, what is the offensive game plan to mix all those things in? And even the the fake reverse that they or whatever that they threw the the the, tu- the near touchdown yeah. pass on that you could have had uh, 
It would have been like a Curtis Conway moment where the guy would have scored four touchdowns, you know, f- touchdown four different ways. He just overthrew that one a little bit. I mean, that worked to perfection. The guy was wide open. It was just if they had guys walking into the end zone on reverses and just not being touched. It's just it's like you look at the film, like, oh, they suck at doing this, so let's do that. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know. Well, I, mean, I don't want to so, give them too much credit. They were so spot on. Yeah. They, for example, they deferred knowing uh, USC would. Uh, so USC ends up having to kick off. They knew USC can't cover kicks. So they wanted USC to kick off. Then they wanted USC to have to play defense, knowing that USC wasn't going to be able to play defense. It was just, they did it, everything, they just did it perfectly. And you're right. The first, I don't know if I've ever seen a game between two comparable programs where the first two touchdowns were scored by guys literally walking into the end zone walking i mean absolutely if you didn't see it they walked into the end zone there was no one near them and they weren't showing off they weren't they just didn't have to run there wasn't any point in running so they walked in i don't think where does that happen i mean i don't where were the usc's 11 defenders i don't know they weren't close enough to make those guys run this stuff happened that you just said whoa those guys know what they're doing. Whoa. These guys don't. It was uh, a pretty dramatic uh, uh, difference between the two programs. Yeah, when you're talking about an Iowa team that wants to control the clock and they're happy, a six-minute drive that doesn't score any points, they're like, that's great. That's, that's, that's what we want to do. Shorten the, you know, USC had the ball one time in the first quarter. But then you... If if Iowa gets to do what they do, they get to run the clock and take and get a whole bunch of plays and keep the ball and keep USC off the field, and they score touchdowns. It's like you're just like stealing at that point. It's just you can't let that happen. Like you're gonna give up some long drives and you hope to get a punt or a long field goal attempt that's missed or something. But USC gave up the long touchdowns and it's that's just like you're at you know that's your cake eating it too. That's you're in bonus heaven. Uh, if you're in Iowa, but to, to get those long drives and score points out of them, not just points, but touchdowns. And whenever they needed long third and long, they had a play. They had an answer. And, I mean, it was just amazing how, you know, this is not, you know, a team that it gets yards in big chunks, but, but there were three or four times when they absolutely positively had had a penalty or whatever, and they had to pull a play out at every single time they had exactly the right play. It yeah. was Pretty amazing. And USC basically was, you know, playing on talent and hoping, you know, their guys could go up and catch it. And yeah. Sometimes they did. Or outrun them. Amon Ra couldn't have a better game. Uh, I think that may quiet the uh, the possibility that, oh, somebody might be unhappy and, and not be coming back. Uh, it certainly looks like, uh, you know, they, they found Amon Ra again, which was a good thing. Yeah. Uh, let's see. We got a another voicemail. I'll play this one for you. Hi, Curtis from Moreno Valley. After uh, this miserable looking loss to Iowa, I'm usually positive, but <laughs> the question is: Will Mike Bone make this coach change the coordinators that need to be gone? Or, even bigger question, will he go back on his promise to keep Clay Helton because of what he just saw? Remember, hate uh, Helton haters. 
As far as the pink slip is concerned, Clay Hilton is more elusive than Lamar Jackson. <laughs> Think about it. A smile, a handshake, a spin move, and Clay's here for another year. Curtis from Moreno Valley. Curtis. Yeah. What, what, well, what happened I, to Curtis? You know a loss is bad when Curtis is, is changing his tune Curtis a little is like, bit. peace out. Let's get rid of these guys. But he's right. Well, we were it, talking about that. That uh, you know, I was thinking, what did Mike Bone say? Clay Helton will be our coach in 2020. 2020 starts what? How many days from now? And Coach Helton, I'm sure, will still be the coach in 2020. I don't know that he said he will coach us to the end of 2020. I mean, if you want to kind of yeah. be really technical about the language. Uh, he just said Coach Helton will be our coach in 2020. Right. It's like, like January 2nd, you can do something, and he still was the coach in 2020. It's exactly. so funny. Clemson, Ohio State's on, and I just looked up, and they were showing Chase Young on the sideline and right next to him, Urban Meyer. And I was just like, wait, or, oh, like, there's just kind of like, as you were talking about getting rid of Clay Helton, they just showed a picture of Urban Meyer. So I thought that was kind of uh, interesting. Well, you know what? And they could have shown a picture of Urban Meyer next to Joe Burrow, too. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, he was there. He also. had some pretty good players. Uh, uh, filter through there i mean my goodness uh but uh yeah urban meyer is everywhere uh, right now except one place that probably needs him more than anywhere anybody but uh we'll see how that how that goes but uh, uh if for, for anybody who said it doesn't matter about the coach uh-uh it matters uh, it, it matters more than anything nothing else matters when you're talking about some of those a few of those guys there aren't many of them now, there aren't many of those jobs either where if you get the right coach, you're going to win a national championship. But there are a handful of those jobs. I think the the newest one is LSU has been, you know, they were in that top 10, but not in that next elite group up. Uh, and I think they I think they now they are with yeah. a program that Ed has built there. Um, so and, and you don't see that often where, you know, Clemson moved into that group and now. Uh, LSU's moved moved into it. Uh, you know, what about programs like Texas and, and USC? Can they stay? Uh, you know. We'll see. It really depends on who the coach is. Yeah. It's all about the coach. We got a late text from Chris in Dallas while we were recording, so I'll read it. Uh, does this loss change anything for Mike Bone in the university? He was on site to see the way the practice situation was handled, and he saw the product on the field Friday night. If Coach Helton can't prepare for Iowa w- with two weeks – how can he prepare for Alabama in an offseason? There is no progress with this team under him. Five weeks he had to prepare. Five weeks. They played uh, last game, November 23rd, UCLA. Uh, the Iowa game was December 27th. He had five weeks. Yeah. He didn't always know he was going to be playing Iowa, but you pretty much had an idea you were going to be in the Holiday Bowl. You had a pretty good idea who it might be out of the Big Ten. Uh, but you had five weeks to get ready for that game. That's true. Uh, we got and one last voicemail came in late. I haven't listened to it yet, so I have no idea what's Ooh. on. So let's uh, let's sort of like a, in the let, blind. If you ever get the, uh, did you ever eat Cracker Jacks at a at a Angels game, Keely? And you, yes. You know, what the prize is? This is what's the prize inside of this voicemail? It was short, so we'll see what it is. Yeah. So my name is Mr. Smith from Bay Area. Try to fight on. I think we just get a whole new coach. A new everything. It's just real sad. It's like over another season. 
We're probably going to be five and five or something. They should just get a home research, get it over with. I don't know. Thank you. Okay, I want to see Mr. Smith's birth certificate, uh, but uh, I do think uh, get a whole new coach, get over it, you know, get on with it. Uh, five and five, it's like that's hard to do. You're just like, you're going to just <laughs> forfeit the last yeah, the two, two games. games. We're like, we're just stopping, we're done. Like Oklahoma should have did in the second half against uh, LSU. Maybe. Nice. Just he's sad. This is when the therapy really comes. Sorry, in. Mr. Smith. Um, okay. Yes, I think the right move, like Dan said, we've all said, is to get a whole new to start over. You got to got to get a new coach. You can't make some changes here. It's changes there. Changes that you should have made last year. You make this year. That's happened too many years in a row. And like Dan said earlier, you start off on the hot seat two years ago. You are on the hot seat last year. You lose five games, and you have the worst recruiting class in history at USC, what has changed? You lose your bowl game in dramatic fashion, or not dramatic, but in uh, embarrassing fashion. You're going to start the season with Alabama. Outside of beating Alabama to start the season, in what way could Clay Helton not be on the hottest of hot seats to start next season? Because he came in number one for this season, 2019, outside of starting with a win against Alabama, I don't think there's anything Clay Hilton can do to not be on the hottest of hot seats again. So yeah, it's just, you're just, it's groundhog's day. You're back to square one, you know, that was it. Uh, somebody did say that after the game, they said, I think Bill Murray must be coaching this team. It is groundhog. It <laughs> <laughs> was Greg Katz. And, uh, nice, Greg. right. It was, it was, it's good. It was groundhog. We've been to so many of those press conferences. We've, Waited for the, you know, the principals to get there and we're all saying the same things and we all know we're going to hear much of the same thing. And, uh, it, it, it is, uh, it is Groundhog Day. Yeah. Yep. Dan, you're a uniform guy. I'm watching Ohio state. They have numbers on the top of their shoulder pads that are like a different color. That's like, so it's like, a what's the crimson? No, they're scarlet, scarlet for Ohio state. Right. Scarlet jerseys with uh, like the silver or white uh, numbers and they have like kind of stripes on the, the sleeves, like the gray and white. And oh. then on the top of their sleeves, they have numbers and they're black numbers. They look kind of interesting, but you can kind of see the numbers a little. You know, if you can't see from the side, you could see those. Clemson has like tiger paws on there in that same spot. But I, have, I don't think I've seen that before. I don't I'm not I don't pay a lot of attention to uniforms, but I know you're a. Expert in that stuff, Dan. You know, I'm watching uh, like both games today, and the drone—it's not drone coverage, but the overhead cameras are so good. I mean, they're following the players down. It's like uh, when police cars uh, started to coordinate with uh, helicopters, and they started putting the numbers on the roof of uh, police cars. That wasn't for anybody on the sidelines or on the sidewalk to watch. That was for the helicopters to see. And I think they're putting those numbers on to. Uh, give you a, another visual cue of who you're looking at from those overhead cameras that are now tracking those wide receivers on every you know step down the field. But I think that's a that's a response to you know the the increased technology today. But uh, yeah, that I think Ohio State maybe did that years ago. Uh, you know. Uh, Somebody did uh, where they put him on, put him on on the shoulder pad, and I don't I don't even know why they did it then, but uh, I think it's kind of a retro, uh, kind of an interesting combination retro and uh, the next wave of of, of what of what's coming. But 
Yeah. Yep. It was always fun to watch the evolution because I remember Alabama still has the numbers on the side of the helmet. That was like a really big deal when they first did that. Oh, numbers on the helmets. Oh, you know, and they've kept it because it's their classic look. But uh, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I, I do think television is changing college football. I don't yeah. think there's any doubt. I mean, I'll give you a really good example of how smart Iowa is and how they're taking advantage of of television the way it's changing college football. And I haven't ever seen anybody do this. Uh, the timeouts were basically two and a half minutes. And, you know, when they had replay, you're talking another two and a half minutes. And whenever there was timeout on the field, Iowa's backup quarterback and two receivers would come out on the field with their uh, first-team quarterback, uh, uh, Nate Stanley. And they would take the entire two and a half minutes, and, and they'd be throwing, uh, throwing the ball and, and back and forth and back and forth. And their backup quarterback probably got 50 throws easily during the game on the field. And the only way you can actually get any practice on the field during a game is during those timeouts. So instead of having your quarterback having to scramble, say, like Matt Fink did, uh, Iowa's quarterback is ready. Because and and they you know the the starting quarterback is getting to throw the ball too, but I don't think I've ever seen anybody do that. But there's not no rule against it apparently, and so they're literally on the field throwing the ball up and down the field during timeouts. It's really smart, yeah. And hopefully other people see that and do that. But what just things like that? You know, they're smart enough to react to this is what's going to happen in a game. What do we do to help this help us get better yeah that's true i like the 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 helmets that they you know honored uh hayden fry with not having the the hawkeye uh right you know um claw or whatever no the head on uh, on the side of the helmets i, I think they call it the tiger hawk tiger the hawk tiger. head sorry and that yeah. was his uh innovation he he brought that in as a as the symbol of iowa football so they all uh you know want to recognize him for that yeah and i guess they'd had two other tragedies where uh when Hayden was there and he took those off of the uh, off the helmet so they uh, talked to his family and they said that would be a great thing to do for him yeah. so so that was very that was very cool but i i kind of like these little shoulders as i watched jk dobbins uh yep. run to the house on this one but i like the uh yeah you can see his number on the top of his shoulder while as he's taking one to the house so i like uh, how you could like timestamp when we're recording this based on right. your play-by-play play of this game well this is streamed too so it's a little behind so i saw on twitter that he mm. scored but then i would like look up and he was actually while i was talking he was actually scoring but you could see his number like dan said from the camera angle so but now we're sort of off the rails so we, we should are. probably that's, we let's get back onto it emergency podcast a lot of energy at the beginning we had a lot of big rants and stuff we got to the question so thanks for sending all those in i'm glad we could kind of address them uh quickly for you guys uh keely thanks for coming in Thank you. Dad Weber, thanks again for coming on. Thank you for asking. And uh, yeah, let's uh, thank you guys all for doing this. We're going to have Harvey Hyde on. I look looks like tomorrow I'll probably get him on Sunday afternoon. We'll have Tunnel Vision Sunday night. So we'll get you a bunch more uh, audio and video content uh, talking about the coaching changes, talking about the Holiday Bowl, the future of the program, all that kind of fun stuff. So uh, thanks again for tuning in, everybody. And we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. 
This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.